Second Timothy verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 6, from the New King James Version, says this. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Stir up the gift of God that's in you. I was just talking to uh, one of our awesome youth leaders, Adam Verhide. He's one of my great friends. And this week for a work party, he made iced tea. Oh, but wait. It wasn't just like the powder in the can where it's two scoops to two liters of water. This is actually, he brewed the tea and then began to chill it and made a simple syrup to make it a little bit sweeter and did it right. Iced tea from scratch. Ladies, the dude's a catch. He makes iced tea from scratch. That's not even the best part of him. So he would have served it. It would have been great. But actually, before he took it to work, he had to chill it. So it sat in the fridge overnight. So what happens is, um, as it sits, it might still retain the color of iced tea. But all of that flavor, all of the good stuff starts to settle down to the bottom of the jug. So you could just take it and you could pour it, and people would go, um, there's some flavor here, but it's kind of just a brownish water because everything had settled. So what's the solution? You get a nice wooden spoon, and you get in there, and you just stir it all up. And all that stuff that's settled to the bottom is now infused throughout the whole entire jug. Every glass is refreshing and full of flavor, which is the goal of iced tea. So this is essentially the picture that the Apostle Paul is giving to Timothy in this verse. And it's the message that he's actually sharing with the church in Ephesus. He's saying, listen, God deposited something on the inside of you. Don't let it settle to the bottom. Stir it up. Always keep it stirred up, agitated, so that the best part that's in you is actually all through you. And when you pour something out of your life, it's the full picture. It's not just something that's like, well, they seem kind of nice, but oh, I know they go to church, but he's actually saying stirred up so that there's something in you to give. Other translations would say this verse where it's fan into flame, the gift. Build it up. Don't let it settle. So uh, who has their Bible today? Or who has a phone? Um, same question. So you can turn with me uh, and flip over to John chapter 5. We're going to look at a story that's um, 
Well, it's a little bit weird and uh, interesting and powerful. And we're just going to start in verse 1. We're going to read through to verse 15. So I'm not going to read it super fast. I want you to really kind of hear it, let it settle, let the words sink in a little bit. So it starts this way. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the Sheep Gate, was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, Now you are well, so stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. So it's a cool story. It's a little bit of a different Story. How many people have ever read this story before or heard this story before? Yeah. Um, but did you actually notice that we were missing a verse in there? And this isn't a, tr a trick, actually. If you look in your Bible or on, on your phone, right close to the end of verse 3, you'll probably see something that's like a letter B in a bracket of some kind? Are people seeing that on there? And what that means is, hey, there's maybe some question between the original manuscripts of what's supposed to happen at this point. Whenever you see that in the Bible, it's important to go to the bottom of the page and go, okay, hold on, there's a little footnote here that I need to look at. So there's no verse 4 in what we just read, so I want to just have a look at what this footnote says for a moment. It'll say at the end of verse 3, some manuscripts add an expanded conclusion to verse 3 and all of verse 4. And this is how it would read if you read verse 3 as well. Crowds of sick people blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on porches waiting for a certain movement of the water. 
For an angel of the Lord came from time to time and stirred up the water. And the first person to step in after the water was stirred was healed of whatever disease he had. So all of a sudden it goes from this story where people are sitting around this pool and, okay, this guy's complaining because he can't get in the pool and that's why he can't get healed. Now we get a bit more of a context where an angel, um, it says, would come and would stir the waters. And then if you were the first person in, you'd be healed. Now that's a little bit odd, isn't it? Kind of a strange pool where people get healed. But wouldn't it be cool to have a pool like that today? Thoughts? Would that be cool? So I've got good news for you. You are that pool. Hold on. (laughs) Many people agreed this pool would be cool, right? A pool where people were healed when it was stirred up. And then I asked or made the statement that you are the pool, and people were like, Think about this. You're this pool. And there's people all in your world just waiting for hope and for healing and for restoration all around your life, just sitting there every day, your coworkers, family members, sports team members, your neighbors, and they're sitting there going, if only there was some way to be healed And you're this pool. You're this pool. And and Jesus was this pool for this man. This guy's going, I can't get in this pool. And Jesus goes, hey, I'm the pool. And he, he speaks to the man, says, pick up your mat and walk. And the man's instantly healed. It's not stuck to a location It's not stuck in some historical place. Jesus was that pool in real time for this man. And just so you know, um, this isn't something that I'm sharing to make you feel like, well, I'm not much of a pool. God, if you could only see my life, this is a terrible pool. Nobody wants to be close to this. It's not to make anything heavy for you. It's to open a door of opportunity and say, hey, there's people just waiting for you to live a life that's so stirred up that healing and miracles flow out of your life. So, this morning, can you say this with me? Stirred up. By the end, I'm hoping that actually gets in to your soul where you can't shake it and all week you'll just hear stir it up. Some coworker will come in with a cough and you'll be like, all right, I'm stirred up. Let's pray. Let's believe for something greater. Okay.
few things that I want to hit as we explore this story on this whole thing of being actually stirred up. The first thing is this. Jesus was continuously stirred up. Every time people came to him, he didn't go, oh, hold on a sec. Um, I got to get a few things in order. He was just ready. He lived in a spot where it's like the pool was just constantly being stirred. Now, the easy thing is to just go, okay, well, that was Jesus. But my question is always, okay, how did he live in a state where he was constantly and continuously stirred up? So this story in itself doesn't actually speak that much to how Jesus lived, continuously stirred up. But when you look through his story, uh, there's two things I want to highlight this morning that I think are real keys for living a life continuously stirred up. There's definitely more, but I want to highlight two, and then we're going to tackle two other things from this story. So the first thing is this. Jesus surrounded himself with great people. Jesus, the Son of God, knew that to accomplish what God had asked him to do, he couldn't do it alone. Christianity was never meant to be a solo mission or an endeavor that you just go, I can do this totally on my own. I don't need the help of anyone else. Jesus pulled his disciples and they walked with him through his highs and his lows. They were with him at times when he would weep, when he was suffering. And they were with him too at parties, just in real life. They didn't just show up and hang out at church. They actually journeyed and traveled through regular life together. Christianity was never designed to be solo, and we need each other. If Jesus needed others, how much more do you think we need others in our world to encourage us, to build us up, to actually help us into the pool when things aren't going so well? We need steadily the voice of others in our lives, bringing the best out in us, challenging us. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 and 10 such a simple picture here. It says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. That's where this man by the pool found himself. He's gone, there's no one to help me in. And the example that we see in Jesus is he surrounded him with people that could help, that could support. The second thing that you see in Jesus that I believe allowed him to live continuously stirred up, and this is so significant, is prayer. It shouldn't be a huge mystery that prayer is such a key. But just like we need relationship with other people to live a life that's continuously stirred so we need a steady relationship with God to allow us to live 
a life that's continuously stirred. Jesus always took time away to pray. Luke 6, verse 12 says, One day soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. Luke 9, 18 says, One day Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. Only his disciples were with him, and he asked them, Who do people say I am? He tucked away with just his disciples to pray. Mark 14, verse 32 says, They went to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and Jesus said, Sit here while I go and pray. At his high points and his low points, Jesus was praying. Jesus knew that he had to come to God, that he wasn't sufficient on his own, and he needed the sufficiency of God in order to see his purpose accomplished. He modeled prayer better than anyone. His disciples would say, teach us how to pray. And he would teach them. Prayer is that steady connection with God. It's where you learn to hear his voice. If you want to see God move through your life in public, you actually have to spend time with him in private. It's not a mystery. Jesus always said, I just do what I see my father doing. It's like he walked in such connection with God that uh, even in a story like this, why did he pick this one guy? How did he know this guy? It comes from that steady connection and steady dialogue of prayer. And the more you fall in love with God and time and his presence and prayer, miracles and Signs and wonders become the natural byproduct of a life that's built on relationship with Jesus. Later in the, in the book of John, a few chapters later, it talks about living connected to the vine. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you're connected to me, you'll bear a lot of fruit. That means if the life of Jesus is flowing into you, you're spending time with him the fruit that you, you're going to bear is going to look like the same fruit that Jesus bore, bared, during his time on earth. It starts with that prayer. It starts with that dialogue. And this is also why church isn't a mystery. Why do we do church? It's people gathered to connect with God. That's the picture that Jesus modeled. Relationship with people and relationship with God. It sounds a lot like the greatest commandment where it's love God and love people. This is the strategy. It's all about relationship. And when you walk in those relationships, the presence of God overflows your life. And I can say without question that I'm at my best when my life is dripping with the presence of God. Easily at my best when I've spent time with him, when I've spent time with others that are pushing in the same direction. 
So say it with me. Stirred up. Okay. We're growing. We're getting there. Okay, two things from this story that I just want to share because it's easy to go, okay, I'm feeling stirred up. Now what? So the first thing is this. Um, Jesus wasn't overwhelmed by need. It says in this story that the pool was surrounded by people, sick, blind, lame, and paralyzed people. So it'd be easy to step into that environment and go, oh, man. Like, where do you even start? It's like when your house is really dirty, and you're like, there's dishes, there's laundry, there's bathrooms, there's vacuuming, and then you just turn on Netflix because you don't know what to do, and you get overwhelmed. I was sharing that for one of my friends. So Jesus didn't get overwhelmed by the need. So what does he do? He didn't just see the many. He saw the one. In the middle of lots of sick people, he saw the one. Now, why is this significant? It means two things for us. The first is this. It means that we're seen, we're known, and we're loved. Jesus found this one man in a crowd, and that's the same way that he finds you, and the same way that he knows you. And he loves you the same way that we see him love this man. It says, when Jesus saw him and knew he'd been, how long he'd been ill, it means Jesus knows your story. He knows your history. He knows where you're coming from. He hasn't forgotten about you. Your story matters to him. Your future matters to him. This is the picture that we see in Jesus. He didn't just go, there's too many people. He said, no, this man right here matters. And that's the same way he looks at you. So if you're here this morning and you feel like you're the only one who knows those tears that you cry late at night by yourself when no one sees, those desperate moments when you feel like, I don't know what to do, I've got to tell you this morning that Jesus sees every single one of those tears and he knows your story, you're not alone, he hasn't left you, and he hasn't forgotten about you. It's the same way he sees you as how he saw this man. The other significant thing about Jesus seeing not just the many but the one is that when you do that, you can actually make a difference to the one. You can make a difference to the one. Now, here's the tricky thing. Our, our current culture, there's always a brand new cause that's really important that just surfaces that, man, the media and the, the stuff will just say, you need to care a lot about this, this thing. And you should, and it's important and it's valuable. It's like there's 
like movies, and maybe this is horrible, but there's like a movie like this, a Blackfish that was about SeaWorld. I was like, I can't watch this. I got too much stuff to care about. I'm already feeling overwhelmed by all of this stuff that I should be caring about. You can, what you end up doing is you like become reclusive and go, I, I can't make a difference to everything. So why would I bother trying to make a difference to anything? But what Jesus does is in the midst of a crowd, he founds one guy and makes a difference to that one person. We can make a difference to one person. Every single one in this room. This week, you can make a difference to one person. Today, you can make a difference to one person. Now, you can go right to miracles, and it's, but what if you just paid attention to a person? What if you listened? What if you showed a little bit of care? Just that could turn a situation around. This man, part of the issue was that he was sick. The actual main part is that he didn't have anyone to help him into the pool. That's why Jesus said, hey, do you want to be well? And his response was, well, I, I can't. I need someone to help me. And when you look around your friendship circles, there's people just like that where you can make a difference. Even if you feel like you can't make a difference to 10 people or 100 or 1,000 people, just make a difference to one person. That's what Jesus did. Okay, say this with me. Stir it up. Last thing I want to hit, and then we're going to take some time to pray this morning. And we're actually just going to stir it up. Last thing is this. Jesus wasn't limited by method. Jesus wasn't limited by method. It's very easy to think that God is a vending machine, like a galactic vending machine in the sky, and that how he works is the same every time. And then it's easy for us to think, well, if I just have the right selection of coins and I push the buttons in the right order, this result happens. Does anyone ever feel like that, ever thought like that? I for sure have. But Jesus wasn't limited ever by method. He always held to the promises of God. How many times did Jesus uh, do a miracle the same way? And did he always pray the same way? Rarely. There's times when he would spit in the dirt and make mud and put it on a guy's eyes. You gotta know you're hearing from God on that one. There's other times, different miracles, he'd just say, get up and walk, like he said to this guy. But it was never just a formula or a method. He always hung to the promises of God. When you know 
the promises of God, that's how you begin to pray and you let go of methods. So what does this look like? Um, For me, my favorite verse might not be a mystery to any of you because I talk about it all the time. I can't help it. It's John 10.10 where it says, The thief came to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I came that you might have life and life to the fullest. That's a promise of God over my life and over your life. Life to the fullest. What's the method for getting to life to the fullest? What's the one root? Jesus. So what's the root that you have to do? Is there a certain thing to find life to the fullest? Is there a formula? No. But we hold to a promise, and we begin to walk into obedience to what God's saying to us. We begin to listen. We begin to be in relationship. That's why Jesus could spit in mud one day, and the next day just say, pick up your mat. He wasn't chained to a method, but the promise of life over both cases was the same. The promise of healing was the same. The promise of provision. If God wants to provide a financial miracle to you, don't limit him to one way to do it. If God wants to bless me, man, I'm going to open up a hundred different avenues to see blessing flow to my life. We can't limit him to this is what God does and this is how he does it. We hold on to promises. The second thing on this is don't get hung up on what God was doing. Be engaged in what God is doing. We have a way of um, almost like, oh, I remember this one youth retreat back in 1972. That's when God really met with me. If only he would meet with me like that again. Do you think he wants to meet with you less today than he did in 1972? No. He wants to meet with you even more today than in 1972. But it's very easy to get stuck on something in the past and we miss what God's doing now. Look at this man. He's talking to Jesus. If he'd known, think about it. He's going, I need somebody to help me get in the pool. And Jesus is going, let's heal you right now. He's looking at, if you start studying up on this pool, nobody can find out when that angel first stirred the waters, how often it happened, if it even happened more than once. But there was people that had camped out there for years and years waiting And they were missing Jesus walking in their midst today. Wouldn't it just be a shame to be talking to Jesus and complaining about a pool that wasn't quite working for you and miss being healed? We don't get stuck on the method. We hold to the promise, and we actually are current with what Jesus is doing now and today. 
So say it one last time with me. Stir it up. 